It's 2001, a Sunday, late afternoon. Bill Tribo is at home prepping film for practice the next day. That's when his phone rings. It's the Newcastle Police Department. They're calling about the Quakers, the Horace Greeley High School football team. Bill's the head coach. He said that there was a huge party. Uh, there was alcohol involved. And marijuana. And then he dropped the bomb on me that a stripper was involved. Allegedly, the performance involved whipped cream. Bill didn't know it at the time, but members of his high school football team had thrown the most infamous party in Horace Greeley High School history. A party which triggered a media storm that reached far beyond the New York City suburb where it took place. This is the News Leader, ABC7 Eyewitness News. Tonight, concern and outrage from parents about a party where a stripper performed for high school football players. The events that followed consumed the hamlet of Chappaqua, New York in a national controversy and launched a morality debate across the nation. Thank you for watching us tonight. Holding people accountable for their actions is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. Even some well-connected neighbors got involved. Speaking of politics, yesterday Hillary Clinton criticized a neighbor in Chappaqua because the neighbor's son threw a party for his high school football team. And then, team a little more than a week after the party, September 10th, 2001, parents and school administrators attended a meeting, which made the nightly news. Our other big story today, Westchester parents packed a high school meeting this evening, voicing shock and outrage about a private party for high school football players. The next morning, barely anyone would remember the party. And there's, you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. Suddenly, what seemed like a crisis felt trivial. How did a high school party become national news? Did the media blow it out of proportion? Or was the world so different then, pre-9-11, that too much booze and a naked woman were seen as the biggest threats to the safety of the next generation. September 10th, 2001 is a big day in New York City. It's Fashion Week. Leather, lace, and everything in between, it is all moving down the catwalk at Fashion Week in New York. And CNN's There's a mayoral election with a progressive Democrat poised to win. I think I'll win unless there's a big external event that disrupts everything. Close quote. Not everyone has a cell phone, but most people have beepers. And a suburban high school party is being covered on national nightly news. This is Shoe Leather, an investigative podcast that digs up stories from New York City's past to find out how yesterday's news affects us today. This season, we look at what was making news the day before 9-11. I'm Mason Weeb. And I'm Lauren Saniello. This is Shoe Leather, Season 3, The Day Before. You're listening to The Party. That, um, on the other side of that set of lights over there, that's the school campus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you want to head that way? Or do you want to um, stay in the crossing? I think we should stay over here. Sure. Because they have, we uh, met Bill Tribo on a blustery February day across the street from his former job. I have a large gray beard, he texts me before we meet him. And he's not lying. His beard is biblical. It covers the majority of his face and hangs down to his collarbone. Uh, as I told you, they, uh, they probably would not want to, you know, if it came out that, you know, we were walking around on that uh, campus with a, the potential for opening an old wound. Uh, 
that old wound Bill's talking about? The party. Bill is 67 years old. He's been a football coach in New York for all of his adult life. And the local high school football coach came to, to, to speak at the school, of course, recruiting players. And after I heard that guy talk, I said, that's what I want to be. We're standing in Chappaqua Crossing, about 40 miles outside of New York City. Chappaqua's a hamlet, a small chunk of the larger town of Newcastle. The area is one of the wealthiest communities in New York State, maybe even America. And as you can see, it's, you know, it's pretty well-off uh, uh, community. The school is one of the best there is. The way that the school is run is why it, it has the reputation that it does. Ironically, Chappaqua is no stranger to the news. The town has a deep-seated history in mass media. In fact, we're standing talking to Bill in what used to be the headquarters for Reader's Digest, a New York-based magazine. And that's not the only media connection. Horace Greeley, a founding father of American journalism, bought land here in the 1850s, and the town never forgot. He was the founder of the New York Tribune. His name is plastered everywhere, from statues to street signs to the high school. The 2001 Horace Greeley Quakers football team was primed to make headlines. We knew that we had a, we had a great group coming in, and our expectations were high. They were on their way to Massachusetts for summer training camp. It was late August, and it was hot. The camp was brutal, almost like basic training. And camp is, it was that intense kind of training atmosphere that I imagine is part of military training. And it always kind of got mythologized um, for good reason. But, uh, you know, it's definitely the hardest physical exertion that I had ever been through, probably to this day. That's Mac Bowen. Back in 2001, he was a team captain of the Quakers. Horace Greeley's high school football team. Yeah, it's one of those things I joke about. You never, a beautiful experience you never want to go through again. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like military allegory when you're talking about football teams and like the kind of machismo of it and the going to battle and all that kind of stuff. Mac is a doctor now in New Mexico. That's where we reach him. He's wearing a bow tie in one interview with a checkered shirt. There's a number one dad foam finger featured prominently in this background. That's the kind of guy he is, and it seems was. Coach Bill remembers Mac very well. But on top of that, just the salt of the earth and uh, and extremely intelligent. And when he when he was a captain on the team, and uh, when uh, when when he talked, people listened. I mean, and and in no way. A, a, you know, a rugged maniac or anything like that. When you played against him, he was a rugged maniac. But, I mean, he was just a great, great guy. In the 2001 Horace Greeley High School yearbook, Mac thanks his mom, dad, and brother Ned. Mom and dad, he writes, words can't express how much you mean to me. I love you so much. Ned, you're the best role model I could have had. Thanks for being there to guide me. I love you, man. Not a big surprise, Mac was a team captain. Mac remembers long summer days in Massachusetts, sometimes four practices a day. Country Grammar by Nellie on repeat. The 
doing nothing but um, playing football, eating, sleeping, and a little bit of bunk wars and, and kind of messing around and having fun. By the end of the week, it seems like everyone had a blast. You, you kind of have this euphoria, right? Like just accomplished training camp is done in the rear view. Like, you know, still got summer. I think it's the week before school or something like that, right? So you're kind of excited to go back and, um, you know, see all your friends. The players party planned on the bus back from camp. On the bus ride back is when, you know, kind of had this like culmination of all this work and energy and want to blow off a little bit of steam. One of the players had this idea to put this party together and they actually made the call from the bus to do this. That call was to Louis Anthony Agnello. A quick-talking actor-in-training turned exotic dancer turned owner of adult entertainment service self-proclaimed stripper king of New York who went only by Cousin Vinny. I was uh, I, I was one of the top strippers in the country at one time. Mm-hmm. I've been featured in Super Teen Magazine's Heavenly Hunks column and... Uh, Super Teen Magazine was a popular teen lifestyle magazine. At the time, Vinny owned Gorgeous Strippers Plus, an adult entertainment service. Vinny said someone called, asked for a stripper, and said they would pay in cash. Over $300, according to news reports. A quick note. A lot's changed since 2001. Today, we might refer to people who do this kind of work as a stripper, an exotic dancer, a sex worker, or a performer. In this episode, you'll hear stripper in the tape and interviews. The performer's name was um, Nicole. I mean, she was a very, she was like around 30, I think, at the time, uh, which in the stripping business at that time was kind of long in the tooth. That's one of the reasons she was staying home. And all the young ones were on their way to New Jersey. Word began to spread on board the southbound bus. There began to be rumors of including uh, that sort of entertainment. And that was always, I, you know, I guess I was just maybe a little bit more hesitant and shy. Mac decided he would not be attending the party. He went home and thinks he watched a movie. I, I uh kind of left the gentleman off, you know, off the bus, um, just kind of went about my business. And the rest is history, at least in the small town of Chappaqua. The party was hosted by the backup quarterback at his home in the neighborhood. It's a quiet part of town, away from main streets. We visited the Chappaqua Library and used high school yearbooks to guide us in our search for students and football players. We reached out to those who seemed like they might have been at the party, but they didn't want to speak to us. We also reached out to the host, the backup quarterback, and he said he didn't want to be interviewed, and neither did his parents. From what we gather, this party sounds like an urban legend in Chappaqua. Everyone from the clerk at the courthouse to a cop at the police station to a lawyer we spoke with knew about the party a high school party that happened more than 20 years ago. From what we can piece together from news coverage and interviews, this party seems like it could have been a scene in one of those epic teen movies. These films shaped our American teenage cultural identity, sparking inspiration for parties in suburbs like Chappaqua. In August 2001, American Pie 2 was released. It, of course, 
is about a party to close out summer. Guys, this is what our party's got to be. Something we'll always remember, you know? The Westchester district attorney at the time, Janine Pirro, appeared on a local news show to report on the party. Yes, that Janine Pirro. Conservative politician and the former host of Justice with Judge Janine and current co-host of The Five on Fox News. This country is going to hell in a handbasket and you know it. With a little help from an unlikely duo, Coach Bill and Janine Pirro, here's what we know about the party. On Saturday, September 1st, 2001, there was a high school house party with some players from the football team and their friends. They ranged in age from freshmen to seniors. He said there was a huge party. Uh, There was alcohol involved. Drinking, smoking pot. And then he dropped the bomb on me that a stripper was involved. The woman who performed, Nicole. Right, Janine. What happened was neighbors called because there was a, you know, a noise complaint. Second time around, the police respond, and this time they go into the, uh, into the backyard, and they see a group of 30 to 40 young students, high schoolers, uh, who are surrounding a stripper as she is engaging in sexual activity. To quote the gorgeous strippers plus ad, her routine fit into the category too risque to say. Here's how Vinny explained it to us. The only problem, of course, was that, uh, you know, uh, I guess the kids were making a whole bunch of noise and uh, neighbors called and complained. Police came in. Police see stripper (laughs) button kid on on the deck and kids playing around with her. And suddenly, you know, uh, I think a molehill got turned into a mountain. We tried to get the police report from that time, but it's sealed, probably because minors were involved. Then the night after the party, Coach Bill got that call from a police friend. And uh, that's when I knew that that this was not going to be a good situation, mainly because of the things that I talked about before. The the community doesn't want those kind of things, you know, uh, to be be, uh, advertised all over the... uh, the, the, the news and bad press and, and, and things of that nature. But the community didn't have much choice. In the following days, this party was not just the talk of the town. It was the talk of the nation. When police responded to noise complaints at this home Saturday night in upscale Newcastle, they were stunned at what they found. A naked stripper who was ordered by students from the Yellow Pages performing sex acts at a party for members of the Horace Greeley High School varsity football team. Teenagers party included a stripper. We're going to strip at a high school football team. Booze and pot football party. Party turns into trouble. The team party. Not far from the home of the former president, Bill Clinton. The Horace Greeley football quarterback hosted a party. Well, the shocking cases, people in the community talking, that's for sure. $325 cash to perform at the party. Booze and pot party. Tracy, the community there hasn't seen this kind of attention since the Clintons moved in. A lot of talk going on. There certainly is The story ran on the front page of the New York Post, in the New York Times, and even Conan O'Brien joked about it. Speaking of politics, yesterday Hillary Clinton criticized a neighbor in Chappaqua because the neighbor's son threw a party for his high school football team and hired a stripper to put on a nude sex show. So Hillary Clinton's mad. 
Mrs. Clinton very mad, yeah. And President Clinton criticized the parents too, but only because he wasn't invited. (laughs) The Clintons lived about 10 minutes from where the party took place. They purchased their Chappaqua home in 1999, right after President Clinton's impeachment and before Hillary Clinton became a New York senator in 2001. Another TV personality spoke about the Clinton connection and devoted an entire segment of his show to the party. Hi, I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thank you for watching us tonight. Holding people accountable for their actions is the subject of this evening's talking point. Bill O'Reilly's Fox News show, The O'Reilly Factor, was huge at the time. According to his publisher, it was the highest-rated cable news broadcast in the nation for 16 consecutive years. O'Reilly brought up a previous incident at Horace Greeley High School, one that happened the spring before. Male students posted personal and sexual information about their female classmates on the internet. And O'Reilly argued that the party displayed a pattern of inappropriate behavior in Chappaqua. Now, we can't blame this on the Clintons who live nearby, but you can blame it on school authorities who are now running away from the press. The producers from the O'Reilly Factor reached out to school administrators, politicians, and other officials, including Coach Bell. Uh, They wanted me to come down there, and uh, he wanted to interview me. He was incensed. He was just, you know, he was having a tough time with it. Coach Bill did not participate in the O'Reilly show. Neither did the other administrators. But the producers were persistent in their search for Chappaqua residents. Over 800 miles away from Chappaqua, Bob Eber was on vacation with his family in South Carolina. We turned on the news one night, and I don't remember what channel it was. And we heard on the national news about this party. I don't know why it was a national story, but it was. Bob did not have an affiliation with the party or those involved, but it didn't matter. Even he got a call from the producer on the O'Reilly Factor. They seemed a bit desperate since they got Bob's number from the phone book. So we started looking for attorneys in the yellow pages. Uh, And came, Nancy, my last name begins with an E. I came up fairly prominently. The producers did a pre-screening phone call that took at least an hour. They determined he was good enough. And on Monday, September 10th, 2001, they sent a car to pick him up from Chappaqua to take him to the studio in New York City. I had done a lot of preparation for that interview. I knew immediately, not that he was a, a bull that was going to attack me, but I knew it was a sham issue. Bob wore a dark suit and tie with wire-rimmed glasses for the interview. He was mostly poised, but... They got into it. If this case came out of Bensonhurst, yeah. If this case came out of Brooklyn, if this came anywhere, I would be on it. And this case came out. Would you be on it, or is it because you have a nice, leafy Tony's cul-de-sac? Oh no, I'm prejudiced against rich people and because the Clintons are 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 baloney. Joining Bob on the show was Phil Reisman, who at the time was a local reporter for the Journal News. Like Bob, Phil had no direct connection to the party or those involved with it. Throughout the segment, the Phil sided with Bob. Before, I think it's I think it's dangerous to make a blanket assumption that Chappaqua has got some kind of systemic problem. I think that this is something that probably is seen in a lot of different places, and maybe maybe something that you see often in wealthier communities. And of course, O'Reilly pushes back. Making the same argument that Democrats made to me about President Clinton's <laughs> conduct, that it, everybody does. It happens all the time. Well, I, but let yeah. me tell you why you're wrong, both of you. Let me be the usual obnoxious guy that I am. All right. That's Phil chuckling in the background. He was wearing a white button down with a tie, not a full suit. He was a bit more relaxed than Bob and chuckled again when O'Reilly mispronounced his name. Here's Phil today. The, thing, the show was really weird because 
O'Reilly kept trying to, it seemed to me, he kept trying to get us to say this, this, this debauchery, this, you know, this, you know, this uh, decadent party was a, a uh, outcome of somehow connecting it with the, um, the lack of moral centeredness of the Clintons. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, it just seemed like a real reach. At about this point, it seemed to us that this segment was not about a high school party. This was about the culture wars in the early 2000s. A battle of belief and politics, moral and immoral, left and right, right and wrong. And if our American culture was at war, then Bill O'Reilly was a general. On his side, morality was the guiding compass. And you know, the stripper guy who rented the strip, he told me that he sent a lot of strippers over there. This isn't the first time it's happened. The stripper guy O'Reilly is referring to is, of course, Cousin Vinny. And, uh, you know, this wasn't the first time that I had, uh, I guess, accidentally sent strippers to uh, Horace Greeley High School students. Um, It was the only time we ever got caught doing it. As far as we could tell, Vinny is the only person who welcomed the media attention. So they left me basically carrying a bag, and I'm, I'm pretty good at carrying a bag. Yeah. Um, you know, publicity and public relations is something that I'm very, I, I, I score high marks in. In the span of 10 days, he appeared on a different segment of The O'Reilly Factor. A lot of crazy and stuff then, goes on. And I don't feel sorry for you if you get busted. Be- Hannity and Combs on Fox News. This is not the first time this has probably happened. No, no, it's no, well, it's the first time we've ever been on the national TV over it. Right. News 12 Westchester. Janine, go lock up a real criminal. CNN. The reason we got any news here is because it's Chappaqua, home of Bill Clinton. WB11. Some girls are born with silver spoons in their mouth and get college educations and law schools paid for them, okay? Other people gotta, you know, don't have it so easy. And Judith Reagan tonight. This happens in private parties all over this great nation of ours. All right, shouldn't it matter? We know Vinny appeared on these shows because he has the videos compiled on his YouTube page. The news segments are pretty much the same. There's footage of the house where the party took place, high school yearbook photos of the party host, and the high school football team. There's the ad in the phone book, the supposed one the boys called from the bus. And there are photos of Nicole, the woman who performed at the party. According to Vinny, Nicole didn't like being in the spotlight. Because of the media attention, he says Nicole was asked to appear in Playboy. Vinny says she turned it down. In all these TV segments, Vinny wears a sports jersey or a t-shirt. He always has on a silver chain. Mostly, he defends his business and himself. But, okay. but, 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 it would be, but you're not taking your clothes off. You oh, hired somebody else to take my do clothes it. off for 13 years. You did. Absolutely. I just shocked Alan Combs. I, okay. to... I was the top male stripper in the country in the you mid-80s. Were. I was in Super Teen Magazine. Would you want your son to do that? Would I? Yes. From all the stories we read and TV segments we watched, it seems like the nation was most shocked because of Nicole's risque performance. That was what separated it from other high school parties. But there was something else that ignited the media firestorm. The kid that hosted the party 
Well, his parents were home. The parents were arrested and charged with endangering the welfare of a child and unlawfully dealing with a child. That's why Janine Pirro, the Westchester district attorney at the time, got involved. Here, parents were supervising. But the reality is that not only did they use poor judgment, they violated the criminal law of the state of New York. Oh, it was a big deal. I, I, don't, I don't think that it was not a big deal. It was a big deal. I think it was a big deal for, the, for those parents who, 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 who made this mistake. They were really good people. I don't know what they were thinking at the time. Hopefully it was something that was positive, as I said before. They wanted to look out for the kids or whatever. Coach Bill and most of the people that we spoke to were confused by the parents being at the party. But he puts his finger on something. Did the parents believe they were keeping their kids safe by being there? Here's Phil, the reporter. I'll just put myself, let me, let me just say, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily believe this, but I'll play the other side. How about that? So the other side could say, this harmed no one, uh, how, uh, that this was just uh, kids having fun, uh, and, uh, and it was in a controlled environment, and if I was, you know, uh, and no one was going to go home uh, driving drunk because we were going to be there to make sure they got home safely. The parents never spoke publicly about the role in the party. And as far as we know, there were no injuries the night of the party, no drunken car accidents involving the students, no one taken to the hospital for alcohol poisoning or an overdose. But it didn't seem to matter. The country waited to see how the school would respond. And so a little more than a week after the party, on September 10th, 2001, while Bob, Phil, and Bill O'Reilly were hashing it out on Fox News, and world-famous cousin Vinny was carrying the publicity bag on local TV, parents and school administrators attended a meeting, which made the nightly news. We've got to instill in them not a morals uh, curriculum, a basic moral compass is the word I used, about what is decent and what is not. But just what that moral compass would look like and how the school would go about instilling it, there would be no follow-up to that story. Just when the kids at Horace Greeley High School thought they were in the worst trouble of their lives, the thing that no one could have imagined happened. In a second, the controversy went from a national fascination to exactly what it was. A high school party. Yes, here we go. Oh, there you go. Horace Greeley High School. To get to Horace Greeley High School, you turn off a main road to a mostly secluded campus. So beyond the school is kind of this wide open clearing where it just looks like brush and a few hills, but no developments. There's a long winding street to get to the main building, and on the way you pass sporting fields. I will say on these little banners that they have, they have key words. Like, yes. this says trust. Mm. This other one here says balance. Oh, discipline. Discipline. Along the drive are banners in the school's balance. colors, orange and blue. They have the initials on them, HG, and words like courage and commitment. And dedication. Community. Courage. Along the side of the road are backyards of a few houses. But other than that, there are no other buildings. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, 
TV trucks lined this winding road with the hopes of getting footage for new segments about the party. Coach Bill had just come back from visiting his sick father in Massachusetts. He had a lot on his mind. He was thinking about his family and the next move for his football team. They had just lost a game, and they were still in hot water over the party. Uh, so I had gone for a walk on the campus. I was in the, the, the backfields, 100 yards from where we are right now. And two reporters popped out of the, uh, the bushes, and they were photographing me. They had one of those, uh, you know, they had an electric shutter on their camera, and it was going off like crazy. I could still hear the sound of the, of the, you know, they must have taken 100 pictures of me, and they're just looking for, for anything. They were actually photographing my tattoos. I have some tattoos on my arms, and uh, they were photographing them up close and thinking, you know, just, guys, just leave me alone. I mean, I don't have anything to say. I, 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 I love my players. I love what I'm doing. Uh, I want to do what I, I, I do best. Just give me a break. I need a, I need a little time to think. And they still were harassing me. In the middle of that, one of them had either a beeper or something in his ear, and they took off like a bat out of hell. They had to run. There were seven, or six or seven satellite trucks right across the street here where we're, from where we're sitting, and uh, all of those trucks took off within a, within a half an hour. Suddenly, the party was old news. I first found out about it in homeroom. That's Mac again, the team captain, the player who did not go to the party. So we, were, we had a homeroom period after two classes. So you started to hear rumors of this, and then we actually turned on the TV and were able to watch the, uh, the towers burning. And um, it was terrifying. I mean, we're watching people jump out of that building real time. And my dad worked six blocks away. And my uncle's best friend was in the building. Um, so it was just... Sorry, I don't know. I haven't really talked about it much, but um, obviously still emotional. Mac lived in one of those houses along the winding road that leads to Horace Greeley High School. Students congregated there, mostly the football team, glued to the television like the rest of the world. Chappaqua is a commuter town nearly 40 miles away from downtown Manhattan. For people in these suburban communities, the smoke from ground zero was tangible. Um, and it was just, it was really very, very, very scary and, and traumatizing. Um, and I don't think people realized what it was like to be in New York at that time. Like, it was just really, really scary. And you didn't know, you didn't know if you were safe. And you didn't know if the people that you loved were safe. And It was five or six hours before Mac's father was able to call his family and tell them he was safe. 
he didn't get home until about 8 p.m. that evening. Mac and one of his best friends drove to a street in Chappaqua where the skyline was visible. From his friend's mountaineer truck, Mac watched the smoke. Dr. Robin Gerwich is a researcher at Duke University. She's a child psychologist who specializes in terror and trauma. When we think about the impact of traumatic events, um, initially, and still, I think, for the most part, think about it as a pebble in a pond. And the closer you are to that, to the pebble, the higher the risk for you to have um, uh, reactions. There was at a time that watching it on news didn't really have any kind of impact. Now that's not true. The science is telling us, no, you can be anywhere. If you're watching this, you can certainly have reactions that are significant. Safety, family, fear, terror. These are the words that we hear when we speak about 9-11. It seems like the party was the furthest thing from everyone's minds. Well, mostly everyone. In fact, I'll tell you the, the, the saddest part for me, the saddest part about those stinking terrorists hitting World Trade Center from my personal perspective, okay, was that they knocked me out of a feature in Rolling Stone magazine. In the days, months, and years following the media storm surrounding the party in 9-11, there was only one thing for the students of Horace Greeley and the rest of the world to do. Rebuild. The world was never the same after 9-11, and almost every American can give you concrete examples of how their lives changed on that day. But for a small group in Chappaqua, New York, the attack on American soil just 40 miles away may have actually brought back to their lives something they'd longed for a day earlier. Did you get the sense that you or any of your players, strictly from a media perspective, like felt a sense of relief for a second? Oh, I do. I do. It would be only natural to. You know, I'm sure that the, the, some of these parents were saying, oh, my God, it finally got us off the front page, you know. I mean, that's natural. It just, you can't, you can't hide from those kind of things. And, and anybody who says that they, 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 that that didn't happen is, is, is not telling the truth. More than just relief, Max says the tragedy gave everyone perspective. The scandal was just like, put in just this incredible contrast, right, to such an important, historically important event. There was a team meeting to discuss how they were going to move forward. It was at my house. And I don't know if Bill described this, but um, like I said, we lived right next to the, to the high school. So everybody came over and we, you know, 50 meathead dudes in my living room, just all over the place. Um, some parents were there but not many. Um, Bill was there. The scene he describes is straight out of Friday Night Lights. It was just a, like, everyone messed up. This is an embarrassment to the whole team, the whole town, everybody involved. Um, You know, again, we're not pointing fingers. We're not, you know, we're not making anybody feel bad for their choices, but how do we, how do we show the town our parents, our community, um, everybody's watching how we respond to this. 
how are we going to kind of set the tone as a team? They started to make their act of contrition. They collected money. They collected water. They collected everything that they possibly could that they could go down and um, and help out at the at the the crash site. And you know it was it was important to them. I think that some of it was intrinsic, but I think some of it was extrinsic. The redemption tour didn't stop with gaining back the community trust. There was still work to do on the football field. I mean, it was like coaching college kids again, you know, because I had seen that that kind of focus. And uh, they came in. We they 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 they, they just wanted to say, Coach, tell me, show me what what I need to do, and I'm going to get it done. With a newfound purpose, the Quakers won their next game. And the next one. And the one after that, too. They ended up winning the next 10 straight games. Mac remembers the moment the team won their 10th game. It was a big deal. It meant that they were going to advance to the state championship for the first time in school history. I, I literally, I could not stop crying for like 40 minutes. It was just like insane amount of emotion just pouring out. And here we are like tough, you know, tough football players aren't supposed to cry. So a beautiful human experience in, in terms of that, a sense of achievement and victory. The championship game was in Syracuse at the Carrier Dome, where the Syracuse college football team plays. To get there, the team boarded a bus from Chappaqua. You know, a lot of the parents were lining the uh, entrance of Greeley, and they had, you know, huge signs. Um, a lot of my buddies were there that weren't on the team. Like, signs said, like, bring it home from the dome. Like, made us feel really special. They lost the championship that day, but it didn't matter. The town they had let down, the community who had been embarrassed on a national scale, the people who the team took it upon themselves to redeem their reputation with still had their back. As the fall faded, so did the memory of the party. 9-11 was the nation's focus now. And with the football season over, the Horace Greeley students moved on to other things. Prom, graduation, college. Police records and court records about the party are sealed. According to the New York Times, In May 2002, the parents pled guilty to endangering the welfare of a child and disorderly conduct, 100 hours community service, and probation. We reached out to Bill O'Reilly to hear whether his thoughts about the party had changed 20 years later. And despite an initial response from his publisher, we weren't able to set up an interview. When O'Reilly's book Old School was published among his sexual harassment allegations in 2017, Phil, the reporter, wrote a piece about his experience on The O'Reilly Factor. It's in Westchester Magazine. This is, as far as we could tell, the last piece of media coverage about the party. Here are the last lines. Somehow, I can see O'Reilly in his youth. He's at the party. His hormones are raging. He's laughing, along with the rest of the red-blooded American boys. And he's shaking a can of Ready Whip. That whole thing was so contrived, you know, it was in the scale of importance in life, it was like nothing. And and on September 11th, the next day, on the scale of importance 
that was a hundred. Our story was a five. There, the next day, the story was a hundred, okay? Vinny's fame faded. Things went south for him in New York, and he got involved in legal battles and shady business dealings. He moved out of state to get his life back on track. And he did. In 2013, he published a book, The Devil's Glove. Its message seems fitting. You know, just because someone brands you as one thing doesn't mean you always got to be that thing, okay? And that's kind of what the book's about. The book is a a book about, um, you know, um, evolving. These days, world-famous Cousin Vinny, stripper king of New York, has a new nickname, Tony Lamb of the Christian rock band The Lambs. On his YouTube page, there's a video from April 2020 of Vinny singing a song. His wife wrote it. It's called Time Bridge, and it's about the prodigal son. We wanted to talk to Nicole, the woman who performed, about her experience, what the media coverage must have felt like, her thoughts about what happened that night at the party. But we couldn't. She died in 2014 and is buried next to her mother and grandmother. When the football season was over, Coach Bill grieved with his family. His father passed away over a week before the championship game. In the past 20 years, Coach Bill has survived cancer twice. He and his wife take in rescue dogs. He's still a high school football coach, and he guides his players in the choices they make on and off the field. When we met Coach Bill in person, he was wearing a baseball hat with the words, Embrace the Suck. So we would always say Embrace the Suck in the Marine Corps, where it was... The Marine Corps sucks you in and then sucks the life out of you. So it was, it was, it's, it's tough, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough world. So that's where that came from. I make the best of every possible situation and be, uh, keep moving forward. (laughs) Mac thanks someone else in his high school yearbook, Coach Bill. Tribo, he writes, you taught me what it means to be a man. Thanks. Today, Mac reflects on the lessons learned from September 2001, about the party and 9-11. You know, how do you begin to kind of walk through that and show people that you're about more? Um, That's what I learned. The embrace the suck mentality. An adult entertainment company a football coach, a group of teenagers, and a raging culture war took center stage on September 10th, 2001. It was a simpler time when a high school party was national news. And then the next day, it wasn't. Shoe Leather is a production of the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Mason Lieb and Lauren Saniella. Joanne Farian is our executive producer and professor. Rachel Quester and Peter Leonard are our co-professors. Special thanks to Columbia Digital Librarian Michelle Wilson and Professor Dale Maharaj. 
Shoe Leather's theme music, Squeegees, is by Ben Lewis, Doran Zunas, and Camille Miller. Remixed by Peter Leonard. Other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our Season 3 graphic was created by Maria Fernanda Rivas. To learn more about Shoe Leather and this episode, go to our website, shoeleather.org.